Welcome, welcome, guys. We are back for another episode of The Lock-In. I am joined by my good friend and my future Gold Coast roommate, Dara O'Carney. Dara, welcome. Well, uh, thank you, David. Yeah, I'm looking forward to spending um, at least two weeks with you in a small room in the Gold Coast. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> it's never gone wrong before, so fingers crossed, no. fingers crossed. So, Dara, we've no guests this week. It's a little like our first two ever episodes. Uh, this episode is going to be half from here in our respective offices slash box rooms, in my case, and half from our hotel room in Las Vegas. In fact, we are recording this half literally hours before we travel. You're flying to Dublin. Uh, you're flying, sorry, from Dublin to London Heathrow, and I'm flying from Malta to London, and we're meeting there, and then we're going to fly together to Las Vegas. I just want to, in case anyone doesn't believe me here, I'm just going to prove it. Here, look, there's my suitcase. Look, I'm packing my bags as we speak. Hope I can fix you can also, you might be able to see my suitcase over the, on top of the book in the background. So, yeah, I'm, all, I'm good to go as well. We're packed and ready to go. I, I think I have to leave a little earlier than you because uh, it's a longer flight to London from Malta than it is from Dublin. But I, I have to say, I'm very excited. I'm genuinely uh, sort of buzzing about the prospect. I guess that's a combination of there's been no live poker for so long, and I'm just looking forward to a chunk of live poker. Of course, we played the IPO a couple of weeks ago, but this is a proper heavy-duty festival playing every day for a lot of days. And I suppose it's always just like at the start, you feel a little bit more optimistic. Dara, are you excited? We're clearly not by yes and no. In fact, <laughs> at the start, face. yeah, at the start, I have to say my only feeling was one of just complete and utter dread, um, which, <laughs> which slowly turned into trepidation and now a bit of excitement has started to mix in. But for me, it's weird because, you know, for as long as I've been playing poker, I've been taking 30, 40, 50, 60 flights a year. This is going to be my first flight in um, 20 months. And it's obviously a big one. We're going all the way across to Vegas. Um, so it's just the whole process. Uh, I'm thinking, oh my God, I have to go to this again. And I haven't done it recently. Um, so it just it, it just seems bigger in mind. Plus there's more, you know, red tape around vaccination certificates and COVID tests and all this stuff. So yeah, the the the, the trip is definitely filling me with trepidation. I'm, I'm sure once I get there, I'll be very excited. Um, I always am to get into Vegas. It's going to be kind of weird this year because like I normally go towards the start of the series and, you know, so I'm kind of in emotional sync with everybody else. Everybody gets there around the same time. Everybody's really happy to see everybody else. Everybody's really looking forward to the summer, you know, given that it's normally in the summer. This time we are actually getting there late, uh, very, very late, like just before the main. Uh, already, most people are well past the initial bloom of optimism into and and, and even past the sort of like grumpiness to, to outright hostility and just want to be out of here. <laughs> um, and I do remember the first time you went to Vegas, you came across sort of at that period and we all absolutely detested you, hated you for how chipper you suddenly were. And, and you actually had a good Vegas too, which kind of makes sense because if everybody's tilted and you're coming in completely fresh, I think it gives you an edge. But um, yeah, this this time it's going to be us. We've, we've already seen on Twitter that, um, you know, particularly the Americans are getting very touchy and not particularly looking forward to the arrival of the Euros. Um, they've been complaining about um, us tanking, et cetera, et cetera. People like Alan Kessler getting involved even. Oh, and I want to, and I do want to get to that later on. So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, we will talk a little bit about a piece I wrote this week actually about it, which I hope I struck the right balance on. But before I do that, I want to stick with this sort of theme because um, from the audience's perspective, they will probably know how we've actually gone in the main event or if we're still going, in fact, in the main event, because by the time this show airs, that will have all happened. In fact, we'll probably be able to update you more so in the second half of this show uh, when you continue to listen, because we will maybe be at day four or day five. Fingers crossed we'll be still going. Um, taking advantage, though, of the fact that we're still full of bloom and optimism, as you mentioned, it is fair to say that this is the period where you can kind of dream and there is this sort of uh, the air is filled with possibility. Dara, how much are you sort of looking forward to the campaign versus being hardened as a professional like you are you know you've done a lot of different vegases you've done a lot of it 
different ways. You know, you stayed in kind of hotels that are on the strip. You stayed in houses. You've done the Gold Coast with me more recently. You know, how do you feel about sort of that prospect? And by the way, I do share your trepidation. I did fly to Dublin for the IPO and I did feel it very weird being on a plane again. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird for me because, it, as I said, it's a mixture of trepidation and excitement now. And I kind of feel like those are both bad in different ways. Um, you don't want to be too excited um, and you don't want to be too, you, you basically want to be sort of emotionally neutral. I think the optimal thing would be to just turn your emotions off completely and, and just go in and treat it as um, a job of work that you have to do. It's very hard to do that with the WSOP main event. Now, every other year it's been towards the end of the schedule for me. Um, so with the exception of one year where I had my big result, I've always kind of gone into the WSOP main event. Well, like this is the one that can turn it around. Even a, even a cashier will kind of save the series. Um, so, but but also kind of jaded and wanting to want, wanting it to be over, knowing that when once the main event was over, that was it for me for for this year for Vegas. This year, you know, it's the first event we're playing, um, and in fact, we're coming in on day two, which is also kind of uh, that's a, that's a new departure for me. So yeah, I'm in my preparation. I've been sort of trying to focus on just. You know, this is a tournament. This is all it. This is all that it is, and uh, prepare as, as well as possible for a tournament. Give it my full focus, but try not to get too excited about it. That seems like a, a good approach. Uh, conversely, to the optimism and the positivity, uh, that feeling of busting the main event is gross. Uh, most poker players refer to it as the worst day of the year. You can understand why. You have spoken about how it takes you roughly twelve minutes. The 12 minute rule Dara insists upon after a bust out when he would rather not see any people. And if there's any people in his path, he may either run into them, run through them or run away from them. Is it more than 12 minutes when you bust the main? It is more than 12 minutes, um, but also it's very, very different. Um, usually in that 12 minutes in smaller tournaments, I just kind of turn it into this really nasty entitled person who doesn't understand why he didn't win the tournament and could see all these people who... I, I believe are much worse players than me still in the tournament. So that's not somebody I ever want to expose to anybody. So I do kind of just try, try and disappear for the 12 minutes. It, it's a much different feeling, but busting the main event. And the only thing kind of close to it is when you bust the Irish open, but even that's different now because the Irish open is re-entry. So you just do it. You're just going again. Most of the time, <laughs> WSOP main, it's just kind of like a, a really profound sadness. That's the only way I could describe it. Um, just a really profound sadness that depend, that descends on you and you don't really want to talk to anybody and it definitely takes more than the rest of the day um, to recover. Um, I think most days, most times I've even woken up the next day and it's still, it's still lingering, which is very unusual for me because usually um, sleep is a total reset, but it's just such a big deal. Like it's, it's the biggest tournament in the world. We're only going to get to play so many of them um, in our lifetime. Um and that's kind of it. Like the, the, the one that really sticks in my mind, which was obviously the, it, it's because it was the worst one. Um, it's the time I had the uh, biggest ever stack. I was up, up, up close to the chip leaders um, on day three, I think it was. And I got aces in against jacks and lost. And the guy barely had me covered. So I kind of went literally in the space of one hand from thinking, or in, in the space of a minute from thinking, wow, if my aces hold here, I'm going to be maybe chip leader of the main event to suddenly being out. And I remembered literally just wandering out through the Rio in a daze and not even knowing where I was going and stopping in Starbucks and just sitting down there and trying to process what had just happened. And then another Irish guy who actually was coming out in a break saw me and he said, oh my God, I just read about your bust out. That was brutal. Um, which, you know, kind of helped me get back into the real world and realize, well, you know, this is this has happened and you're going to have to deal with it. Most of the years, it's just been a kind of like, yeah, like I say, a profound sadness. Um, it's like, well, yeah, it's happened again this year. Yeah, no, I, I, I know where you're coming from. We often talk about how, tournament poker sort of dishes out more negative experiences than positive ones but these positive ones do sort of compensate they feel so much better than all the negative things or at least we our bodies or our minds or something makes us feel that way your most positive vegas experience you referred to it a moment ago was your 2015 run in a 1500 event when you came second to pesh de silva 
uh, obviously you were in the hunt for a bracelet. It's fair to say that he was leading the charge on that final table. In fact, the fact that you came second was sort of tantamount to unbelievable cockroaching because I think you might have been like 11 of 12, 8 of 9, six of seven the whole way through, but you just refuse to die. And then, of course, once you get heads up, you've got every opportunity. Can you tell us a bit more about that tournament? Yeah, that was an interesting tournament because like I was talking earlier about how you want to be um, emotionally neutral going into a tournament. I definitely wasn't emotionally neutral going into that because I I just came off finishing um, doing some commentary for the live stream on the seniors final table. And that, that sort of dragged on and I had a cutoff point beyond which I wasn't going to enter this tournament, which was just a, a random 1500 side event. And 20 minutes before my cutoff, um, the, all nine players were still on the final table. So I thought, okay, well, this is definitely not, this tournament is just not happening. Um, and then they just literally went bang, 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 bang. And the tournament was over just before my cutoff. So, so I, so I jumped in, but it was kind of like a bit rushed. And then, I was immediately regretting my decision because I was put on a late reg table with a bunch of other guys who had literally just jumped in at the last minute as well. So, it, and they were all beasts. And I was like, this is absolutely terrible. I've just, I've just burned money here. Um, and I never really had a stack in that tournament. Like, it's not just that I was short at the end. I never really had a stack. I remember having to fold into the money. Um, and I just remember, you know, being 10 to 20 big blinds the whole way, taking the shove and reshove spots, getting the double ups when I needed, but never really feeling like something amazing is happening here. And even on the second last table, I was, I was like a dog to make the final table. I was 17 of 18, 16 of 17, et cetera. And all the way through onto the final, all the way through to heads up, actually, I was either last in chips or second last in chips. N- never got better than that. Um, so it, it was easy in a sense that like, obviously you know what you're doing in those spots that you don't have too many tricky decisions. Um, I also diverged quite a lot on the final table from what I would normally do because I was aware of the fact that there were some recreational players. It was a very polarized final table. Um, there was Pesh, obviously, who I knew was a beast. There was Matt Dolan, who was a November niner. And there was one other player who seemed to be very good. And there was Jason Kuhn, but he was very short. But the other players, um, you know, they were, they were as weak recreational players as you will ever find on a WSP final table and I kind of had the sense that they're all going to blow up and they did all blow up one by one so that sort of gave me an added incentive to play even tighter than ICM would suggest um, um, so yeah so then I get heads up and I think Pesh had like a 9 to 1 or 10 to 1 chip lead he had a massive chip lead he had just bulldozed through the final table and didn't expect it to last very long but because of both of our styles like even with the short stack, I was playing a fairly small ball style and Pesh was playing a small ball style as well. So it did, it did kind of drag on. It dragged on for an hour and a half to the end of play. And they said to us, um, okay, guys, you can either come, you can go away on your breakdown, come back and play another hour, or you can go off for the night. Um, and, and we were like, well, the stacks are still, like Pesh still has a huge edge. And I, I think I was down to, less than 20 big blinds now. So we said, okay, it'll probably be over in an hour. So we might as well finish it in an hour. Um, Pesh went off on his break and came back and said he changed his mind that he wanted it to go into the next day, which kind of surprised me, but I thought, okay, well, he's tired. That's fine. It, it has been a long day. Actually, what had happened was he, he talked to his backer and his backer wanted to investigate the possibility of doing a deal. Um, so we ended up, uh, I was contacted by Rory Brown, who was part of that camp at the time. And Rory said, um, they want to do a deal. Can we meet tomorrow to discuss that? So by the time we came back, we had already agreed a deal to chop all the money. Um, so we were essentially just playing for the bracelet. Um, and it was such a big deal for me, I guess, the fact that I'd locked up 300K. That at the time, I thought, okay, well, I'm still a massive dog. You know, I think, I think maybe I got it back to six to one. Um, but you know, I'm still Pesh is still going to win this almost always. Um, I think within five minutes of coming back, we got it in flipping. Um, I had pocket twos and he had ace king, and I lost the, the cruelest way I got counterfeited. Um, but to be honest, it didn't really feel that bad at the time. I was like, okay, well, you know, I was I was a long shot anyway. We did the deal, which locked up 300k for me. That's a big deal. Um, my biggest ever score. It it felt particularly good too because I'd only had pretty much losing or break even Vegas's till then, and this sort of 
um, wiped away all the losses in one fell swoop. Um, it turned me into a fairly big lifetime winner in Vegas. So it felt really good in that, but there was a delayed after effect. Um, about a year later, I was running in the park. And um, when I, well, I should say first, when I came back from Ireland, the, the, the big question everybody asked me was not, what was it like to win 300 grand? It was, what was it like to come so close to a bracelet? Like you must be, you must be devastated. And I mean, I guess I kind of played along with it, you know, saying like, yeah, I'm, obviously I, I really wanted to win a bracelet, but I kind of really didn't believe it deep down um, because of the combination of those two factors. The fact that I was such a dog anyway, that I never really felt I was in with a massive shot. And secondly, that we had chopped the money. <clears throat> but then about a year later, when I was getting ready for the next Vegas, I was running around the park on one of my long runs. And I, it, it, it kind of just hit me in a flash. It was like, oh my God, if I'd won that last flip, we were back to maybe two to one. And then I have a legit shot. Um, and, you know, that might be the only chance I get in my lifetime to win a bracelet. Um, so, yeah, it kind of... I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a defense mechanism. Maybe my mind goes like, well, if you if 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 you're gonna feel sorry for yourself now after you come from Vegas, you're you're gonna lose a few months um of your life moping about the fact that you didn't win a flip, which is not not a good mindset for a poker player to have. But yeah, I felt I felt disappointed in retrospect, let's say. Well, despite the fact that it didn't end in the ultimate success on the bracelet there, you are getting me in the mood here, Dara. I'm sort of, you know, Vegas stories and bracelet stories are a, a great um, tantalizer, I think, uh, ahead of going. And if it's possible, I'm even more looking forward to it, even more excited, and even further away from that neutral place you told me that we need to get to. So, like, hopefully That's good. That's good. Yeah, I definitely want to get you out of the neutral place. Yeah, yeah. And that was a particularly exciting Vegas because I think um, three other, or at least two other Irish players got heads up for bracelets. Um, Seamus Cahill, Mark McDonnell, I believe. And uh, Andy Black also had a deep run. And actually, myself, Andy, and Seamus Cahill were more or less back-to-back. I went straight from my celebration dinner back to, uh, to, to, to rail Andy on his final table. Um, after he sent word that he wanted me to help him on ICM and stuff. And then I went, and then I, I remember going to bed that night feeling really, really tired after, sorry, Andy Boss the next day on the final table and going to bed after his celebration thing, really, really tired. I think I'm going to catch up on my sleep and then getting a call from Seamus Cahill saying I'm heads up for a bracelet too. And I want to do a deal. Can you come down and, and advise me on, <laughs> on, on how I should approach this? And, and, and we ended up staying up all night talking about that and then going back to rail his heads up. So there was a, there was a three or four there day period there where I was literally, you know, either on a big final table myself getting heads up or trying to advise or help or uh, yeah, help in any way I could um, other Irish players who were going well. Um, it or was, or yeah. even commentating on one the day before that again. Oof. So yeah, no, you were, you were right in the mix. It was an exciting time. Dara, preparation is massively important. And I suppose like execution at the World Series is so important that it, it sort of puts this onus on preparing to the nth degree ahead of time and also having good sort of routines when you're there. In fairness, I think the healthiest I ever am is when I'm in Vegas with you because you make sure I get out of bed early and run around a bit with you. Now, in fairness, you do usually let me, you sort of patronize me for three or four laps of the car park and then you fucking go into another gear and I pat my way back to the, the hotel room for the first shower. But it is obviously very important to do your sims, do your study, get your game in, in, in good nick. But being fit, eating healthy, sleeping well, that's all massively important as well. One of the other kind of things is like where you stay and who you surround yourself with and what you do. And, you know, you know, this might come as a huge surprise to people that Dara has chosen, chosen to stay with me uh, for three Vegases, or at least this one will be the third one in a row. Um, we stay in the Gold Coast, which is very much location, location, location. Not exactly the snazziest place. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone from a sort of a, a fancy hotel point of view, but it's got some good food options in there. You can run around the car park, uh, shaded three sides of it usually when you do it, which is important more in the summertime, admittedly. And then, of course, uh, you're really close by. So you can avoid queues by regging the night before, just popping across the way, getting a coffee. Doing the, doing the registration thing takes five minutes instead of coming back the next morning when everyone's there and it takes 45 minutes. Um, so I guess the question on a lot of people is, why on earth, you spend enough time with me, do you content create with me, we meet twice a week virtually um, to, to, to create uh, shows of different kinds. Why would you want to spend your Vegas with me too? 
And I think it's one of the great mysteries of life, um, <laughs> even to me, to be honest, um, because there's a couple of misconceptions, I think, about maybe surrounding both of us. One is that I'm this incredibly patient person who can get on with anybody. That's completely not true. Um, I've had fr- friendships completely and utterly destroyed by just having to spend a few days in a hotel room uh, with a person that I thought I really liked and thought I got on really well with. And then as soon as we're spending 24-7, I'm like, this is, I just can't be doing this. This is terrible. I can't, I can't, I never want to see this person again. That's happened on more than one occasion with me. And um, the other misconception, I think, is that you are um, just impossible to be around at all times, um, which <laughs> might have to do with your public um persona something but the, the the reality is in terms of spending time with people from poker you are by far the most fun person to to, to, to be with um and actually the easiest as well because you're you are you know uh, i i hate i hate saying nice things about you and i know you, you kind of hate when i do it as well but you're i'm, I'm worried about what's coming well, next. you are actually you're a wreck my image <laughs> thoughtful friend in terms of like uh, you 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 good at sort of dovetailing your your mood. You do little favors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, not sexual, I should add. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely going to give. I, if there's a way to cut this show, I'm going to try. And cut that. <laughs> You've always come out to me for all this sort of you know vaguely suggestive things I yeah, say yeah. and verbs I use. Yeah, I, I, I heard the words coming out of my mouth, and I knew before they even came out they were going to sound bad. But I somehow I couldn't stop. Um, yeah, but it's actually great. You, yeah, you. I mean. Yeah, I think people people would be very shocked if they saw what we were like when we're completely alone and there's nobody else around. Um, Stop! <laughs> it's quite different. It's quite different from our public personas. and um, But we do have it. I think we, we both have a great time together. Um, oh God, this I I really need to stop. This it's very, is all, it's very, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll cut you very, off before you say something you regret. There, no, yeah. but I have to say, this somebody asked me in a podcast interview, I want to say it was like early this year, uh, if they were making a movie about us, who would play us, and what would the movie be like? And I, I think I said, you're gonna, you're probably not gonna like this either, but I think I said something like, well, it's gotta be a bromance, it's like one of these stories of like two great friends, <laughs> and, but it still has the story arc of a rom <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, that's very much it. I'm, I mean, I guess I, I always feel maybe the key to our relationship, apart from the fact that we have almost identical senses of humor and very, very close worldviews, um, it's kind of that we can we can resolve conflict really, really quickly and efficiently. Like we can literally scream at each other to, to the point that someone like Dara Davy, if he's railing and is hiding under the bed, crying, "Please stop fighting, Daddy and Mammy." But <laughs> this, this actually, Dara saying this like it's a hypothetical. This actually happened literally at the IPO four days ago. IPO, yeah, but but like, as, as Dara said, sometimes. Very rarely, because he's right, we do share a worldview 98% of the time. But when we do find that 2% of a thing, we'll go we'll go have a tussle about it. And we did have one of those. And he was in the room and he did literally hide under the bed going, I haven't seen anybody in a year and a half. Please stop shouting at each other. Yeah, but it's just a really efficient way to deal with it because we both get through it. And then we, you know, we either agree or we agree to disagree and we just move on. Um, whereas, you know, I have other friends, you know, you're getting the passive aggressive stuff a year later. And it's like, can't be dealing with that. That's, that's just nonsense. Um, and that, uh, yeah, I've no patience for that stuff. I just want it out and dealt with as quickly as possible, any conflicts that arise. And, and you're very good on that stuff. You, uh, you don't hold back either. Yeah. And I think it's just always good. And it's probably just good general advice for anyone out there. Uncontroversial, I'm sure, is that it's just just talk to each other. If you do have a little dispute, just have a conversation. A lot of people do want to get away from conflict, but actually meeting conflict head head on is, is often the, the best way of dealing with things. And it's a very respectful way to deal with things, I think, as well, because, you know, as you say, even if you realize, oh, we're not we've reached an impasse here, we're not going to agree. Then you realize it and you've, you've kind of made every effort you can and you respect each other for the fact that you tried. I'm now that now that we're on conflict. I, I I know that uh, you're painting me as a more of a teddy bearish figure, and I, I I know I like to bear my teeth once in a while. Um, and I but but I was trying to be very careful. Uh, you mentioned the piece I wrote that featured Alan Kessler. I was trying to make it like a historical piece. Please check it out, guys, if you haven't. Uh, it's on the VSO News um, feed. There, uh, basically about there being no such thing as a foreigner in Vegas. That it's the World Series. And it's like, yes, okay, most of the time we go to Vegas and we do it there. But 
if they're going to really be a world series and claim lay claim to that notion, then they're just the kind of perennial host of a world games, a bit like they get to host the Olympics every time. And nobody would call anyone a foreigner at the Olympics. It just doesn't seem like the right way to do it. Alan Kessler made this, I think, very indelicate tweet, probably a little bit insensitive tweet. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will go, oh, um, snowflakes here. Now people getting upset about just a little word that he used. I think he used the, the phrase obvious. Obvious for yes, the F word, obvious foreigner. But um, but yeah, I just thought it was worth picking up on. And uh, yeah, I didn't want to throw Alan under the bus in any way, shape or form. I actually think Alan's a really good guy in poker. And uh, I really enjoy his company. We've really enjoyed having him on the show a couple of times. Uh, and I hope he'd come back even after this. But I did sort of, I was a bit disappointed, I suppose is probably the best way of describing it. And I kind of hoped that not only would he maybe realise that what he said wasn't great, but that all the sort of yahoos who jumped on it were like, yeah, fuck those foreigners, fuck those tanking, stalling Euro bastards or whatever they said, might just like tone it down a bit and realise like we're going over to America, probably for most of us, our first trip in 20 months. The lockdown's not been nice for anybody. We're dying for a bit of live poker. Guys are going to go out there. Maybe they've just forgotten their ranges there. Maybe they're tanking because it's been so long. They've just forgotten you know, what they open and what they what they three bet with. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, also we're, um, one thing that they should maybe bear in mind is that we're not as au fait with American recreational population tendencies as they might be. Like they might know what it means when a when a farmer for Oregon six X's under the gun, but we're kind of sitting there wondering what, 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 what this actually means and how does that affect our range? And people might go, well, do you, not, do you not know your preflop ranges? And I didn't pull that um, example out of thin air. That's an example actually given to me by uh, Soheb, our good friend Soheb, who's also been on the show a few times. I thought it was a very good piece you wrote. I thought you you uh, tried a very good balance. Um, I'm not sure how it will be received because as I said, everybody's in a really touchy, ready to blow at any moment. The, the people who are shouting snowflake are also the people who, who, who go off at the slightest uh, accusation of, of, of xenophobia. Um, I was a little bit worried when I saw the piece and I saw, I saw the um, image you were using to promote it of Alan Kessler uh, in Bart Simpson, uh, Bart Simpson mode writing and thing. I thought it might be an attack piece on Alan. I do like Alan a lot. I think Alan is a great guy. I know from what I've heard about Alan that, you know, he's he's very good at helping people who, when they need help, helping, um, you know, people who are not as fortunate as we are in life. So he's definitely one of the good guys. And I think, yeah, this is, I would, I would put this down to a combination of just really not thinking about the implications of, you know, why do you need to designate somebody as a foreigner um, and, just general touchiness. I don't think it's been the best series for Alan. I, I could be wrong on that, but I haven't heard of him, you know, winning any bracelets or, or making too many final tables. So I kind of give him a pass on that stuff too. I know I remember how touchy I get. People get, people do get really touchy on the, on the whole nationalistic thing. I mean, I know this from early in my career, I think maybe the second or third time I went there. Um, innocently on my blog, just before I left, I said, I, I wrote that it's been a bad series so far for the Irish and it's been a very good series for the British because I think they had won a few bracelets, but hopefully that will change. And when I landed in Vegas, I landed in Vegas to an absolute shitstorm where people were accusing me of being pro-British, anti-Irish. Um, <laughs> and I, I literally had to put out a statement of clarification um, at, at, the, at the behest of my sponsors, which seemed kind of ridiculous to me, given what I had actually, all I had said was factually it's been a good series so far for the British. It hasn't been a good series so far for the Irish, but people do get very wound up this time of year, I think. That's amazing. I knew that that had not landed as you had wanted, and I knew that you had sort of had to clarify. I didn't realise your sponsor sort of said, uh, Dara, put out a little statement there, will you? Yeah, well, at <laughs> the time. Tweet, I'd yeah. sort of say, I, I don't I don't love the Brits. I'm not after the Irish here. Yeah, this was it. It's like, yeah, I don't I don't love the Brits. I do think the Irish are, are all great players. I'm not I'm in no way suggesting that the Irish are worse players than the British. It's just we haven't run very well this series. Yeah, I mean at the time my sponsors were Bruce Poker, who were an exclusively Irish operation. So it being <laughs> being seen as anyway anti-Irish was just a very bad thing. Um and yeah, it's it it it, it was a salutary lesson to me on how you have to sort of not just think about what you're actually saying, but think about how it might be perceived. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, uh, you know, final note I would say is that if you do encounter gratuitous tanking and you do encounter angled shooting and bad play, absolutely call it out. Like, I, that's the one aspect of this I didn't had no problem with. I think calling out a person for poor behaviour, something nasty that they said, some kind of like slightly squirmy, not so nice, wormy kind of behaviour at the table. I'm, I'm not into it either. But just don't go, oh, where are they from? Europe. Ah, oh, fucking Euros. You know, it's just, it doesn't apply. Like, even if 99% of people are, um, you know, classic fitting the stereotype of their country or whatever it is, it's not good to kind of ascribe a quality like that onto somebody regardless. You know, like you could be meeting the one person who isn't. And it's just a bad policy in general. And it is a slippery slope from there into xenophobia and racism and horrible things. So I suppose even though it's a very small thing and I don't think it was a, a bit of a storm in the teacup, really, I just kind of thought, oh, I might just say something like this, because even if people read it and go, you know, a little bit reflective on it, they might just avoid um, you know, <laughs> attacking me when I undoubtedly stall into the money in a week's time and something. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm finding quite ironic that you were the one going to um, war on this, given that you are one of the more egregious. Fake tank air, Dara. Fake tank air. A fake tank air, yeah, as, as, as the French guy called you. The other thing, thing I would say on this is even the term Euros or foreigners, it's just it's just far too broad. Like we we probably are closer culturally to Americans than we are to Spaniards, I would say. You know, we share a language, we share a lot of cultural attitudes, we consume a lot of the same media and and stuff. So uh, just Euro is just far too broad a term. Um, like the Spanish are very different from the Germans. Um, the French are very different again, et cetera, et cetera. So like, I don't, I, I don't even think you can generalize almost anything about all Euros, apart from the fact that they live in Europe. Um, it's 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 just far too broad. We we're, we're separated by language, culture, um, and lots of other things as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely, call out call out bad behavior. And I, I I personally hope that the side effect of this will be that as soon as you start stalling on bubbles, people immediately start calling clock. <laughs> Very good. Well, look on that note. I I don't know about you, Dara, but I think I'm just checking my watch here. I think I'm actually going to the airport in about three hours. You probably have about five hours before you to get there. So I guess see you in Heathrow. Yeah, see you in Heathrow unless something horrible goes wrong with with with, with the, the mountain of documentation we have to get through. Um, I'm definitely not going to sleep before the plane now. So yeah, I might be a bit bleary eyed when you see me. Yeah, this is our attempt to quash the um, the jet lag is to get ourselves to Heathrow and then sleep on that journey. So hopefully that works out for us. We will see you guys in Vegas. Cue the magical transition to us being there now. We'll film our plane landing. Definitely won't be stock footage. How you doing, guys? We are back after what I imagine was a very uh, nice bit of footage. Did you take that footage, Tara? Yeah, I shot it. You, you were sleeping at the time. So yeah, yeah. It, it to me. I think you were going to do it originally, but I thought, well, you're sleeping, so you're not going to be able to do it. We obviously both travel with state-of-the-art um, camera work. Exactly, and there was no, there's no way that was stock footage taken from someone random no, person's no, YouTube a, channel. That's so a we vicious, would vicious, vicious rumor. We would never do that. We've yeah. never done that to any poker establishment, nor would we do it to some random uh, person either. Anyway, we have made it to Vegas. This is... Uh, the dream. This is Vegas, right behind the us. Dream. Here. This is the dream sequence from Twin Peaks, where <laughs> the, the dwarf is going to come through those um, <laughs> curtains. This is very, very cool. This is a new low in Lockin history. This is, yeah, I suppose we, we. Okay, so behind, if you can imagine it, there are two beds and a bedroom here, but we don't, decided don't to put ourselves together. Don't imagine. Don't imagine it. It. <laughs> Actually, don't imagine anything after after all the innuendos Darry used. We have to kind of be careful earlier in the show. Anyway, guys, we did make it finally. It was a fucking tough day. Twenty eight hours for me door to door. I think there were 25, 26 hours door yeah. to door. We had a delay in San Francisco along the way, so it was the longest day ever. But we made it. We got a reasonably good night's sleep, all things considering, and then we headed in to play our main event. We're going to talk about that in a little while, but actually we won't talk about it immediately because there was a bit of news around that time. Uh, we we had the uh, the PPC happening just around the, the, the time when we were traveling and Jungle Man managed to win the PPC, which was a, a phenomenal result for him. He managed to beat Ryan Leng heads up. He referred to himself as a wild, uncaged animal and he couldn't be put down. And he kind of couldn't be put down. There was one very strange hand three-handed uh, where Ryan Lang sort of slow played uh, an ace blind v blind when Jungle Man was down to three bets. And 
basically kind of leveled himself into folding the river when Jungle Man value towned uh, a good king and uh, he didn't call it off with top pair and he was good and for half a bet he surrendered quite a chunky pot to Jungle Man in that spot doubled him up more or less and then Jungle Man went on to beat both Volpe and Leng I know Leng was gutted one of the things he said actually was hang on let me check my notes because I have to Dara look I'm using your phone see we're, we're we don't have the <laughs> usual standards <laughs> so we're not, <laughs> so, have to keep waving that thing around I have to keep waving it around so uh, yeah Leng said um very honestly, very kind of matter of fact, kind of owning it all. He, he took to Twitter. He said to the people saying it was almost the worst fold in the history of poker. I completely agree with you. Saying it was bad is an understatement. It was atrocious, abysmal, absolutely horrendous. Bottom line, he went on to say, so what lessons can we learn from my mistake? For one, let's take ownership of our mistakes. I speak with a lot of poker players who make every excuse that they possibly can before they own up to the fact that they could have done better. Stop it. I made a terrible fold. I am to blame, not Jungle, not anyone else. Very honest, really, from him there, Dara. And it sort of made me think about different students I had years ago when I was coaching. And I know you do an awful lot of coaching now and sort of the ways in which people react to poor play on their part and whether they sort of own it or whether they sort of deflect it. Yeah, I think, I think one, of the big, one of the big attributes you need in poker is to be able to detach your emotions from every situation. That's obviously very important at the table when you're trying to execute your strategy, not to get emotionally involved in the outcomes. But it's also important in how you process your mistakes when they do occur. And um, it is a sort of a hallmark of all the top class players that I have coached, which kind of separates them from other players, is that they, not only do they kind of own their mistakes, they actually actively go looking for them. Mm. Even if they think something isn't a mistake, they'll bring the hand and they'll say, you know, is this a mistake? And they won't get upset if you tell them that it is. They'll actually be quite relieved. They'll be like, because it, you know, I always say to people, like, you should be looking for mistakes because if you bring a hand to somebody and they say you played it perfectly, you learn nothing and you you wasted both both their times um, frankly but if you bring a hand and there is a mistake and there's a learning point then that's something you can improve on in the future and you know your your return from poker long term will be fixing all these leaks every time you fit you find a leak and you fix it um, your future expectation increases if you go through a year and you don't discover any errors or believe you don't um, and you still have a bad year that's pretty grim because you know there's nothing to suggest the results will get better next year but if you discover a, a couple of leaks then then your results should improve yeah well said and I think yeah a lot can be learned from Ryan's bit of introspection there uh, it's something that I think a lot of the best players do have but it's never been quite put so succinctly in that little uh, 10 tweet thread he put together sort of few paragraphs uh, anyway PC was done and dusted. It ended up having 63 runners, some of whom, including Jungle Man, came in directly to day two. I know that kind of created a bit of a stir. We'll talk about that in a second. But it created about a three million prize pool, which Jungle Man got a, nearly a million of. I think he got like 950k. Very good result, obviously. And he gets to his name etched on the Chip Reese trophy. He gets his first bracelet. He never won a bracelet before. He actually had very few World Series cash before because he's just grinding the cash when he's here. But uh, Ryan Lang, kind of a an incredible story from him he, he he sort of took up mixed games about six months ago I hear got quite good at them obviously managed to win a bracelet managed to get heads up in another spot earlier in the series all in mixed game uh, and limit game type stuff and then uh, his, his friends were sort of oh you got to play the 50k and he's like no no I'm not playing the 50k that's a bit ridiculous but he sold for it got in there and came second and could have won in a lot of other worlds so incredible stuff from him um, moving on I, I, I do kind of I am conscious we did arrive to a bit of controversy uh, uh, Mike Matisau sort of blew up on Twitter giving out about the fact that um, players are allowed well, both register into day two of the PPC, which Jungle Man did, but also register quite deep into day two, two levels into day two of the main event. You can jump in, uh, I suppose that effectively means you can jump in 14 hours and one minute into the tournament, which is quite a, a ways along, uh, probably gets you into the tournament maybe eight hours from the money, which is still a long way, but it is, you know, quite far in you'd, you'd be buying 50 bigs at that point and you'd have to navigate those 50 bigs I think for that's more than eight hours it's about 12 hours presumably. is it about 12 hours six, six you still have six hours in day two you're right actually yeah it is a little bit long yeah sorry more like 10 to 12 for yeah. sure actually dara's right on that one but still you know it's, it's almost 
like less than half the time you would have to survive if you start at the beginning but of course you're buying a much shallower stack your opportunity to gobble up some of that very dead-ish money uh, on day one is taken away from you but you know there are certain ICM advantages too now the World Series have obviously gone this way they thought that's a good way to get people uh, into the event who might just want to come in a bit maybe later maybe some of the high rollers don't really want to get in right at the beginning so they're keen to take uh, the, the late reg approach as well online has gone this way most other live tours will have six seven eight levels of late reg as standard as well so should the wsop be any different as i get the question or should the wsop main event be any different uh, is it kind of a special one that should sort of maybe only allow for a couple of levels of late reg but not really generate that icm advantage that people would have coming in late yeah i mean i think well first of all i was i was kind of annoyed when this became the big story of the day because what everybody was talking about last week was the fact when the Europeans arrived, uh, we'd all be tanking. And I, <laughs> I expected you to be, become the major focal point of all the American hate for that. <laughs> Unfortunately, I somehow seem to be lumbered with the with the tag of Mr. Late Register just because I wrote about it in the book. Um, <laughs> um, th this book here, incidentally, oh, yeah. Endgame Poker Strategy. Fantastic book. And... Uh, I mean, the fact that I wrote about it doesn't mean that I naturally think, necessarily think it's a good idea from the point of view of the overall ecosystem. All, all, all we've done in the book is we've explained very clearly what the advantages are and exactly how much it roughly is in most, in most situations. And I, I, I kind of feel like it was important to do that for recreations because most recreations thought it was a disadvantage to late register and wouldn't actually do it um, for that. And they thought it was, um, you know, that it was bad. Whereas the reality is apart altogether from the ICM benefit that you get from um, registering it, which again, we went into in the book, there's also some benefit just for the recreations of playing shallower against uh, the pros. You know, if you go in 300 big blinds deep and there's a bunch of pros at your table, you're likely to get slaughtered very, very quickly. And on the other hand, if you go in with 75 bigs or 50 bigs, um, you know, their edge over you won't be as great. And you know you'll you'll know how to play that because in mo most of the tournaments the recreational players play, that's kind of the stack depths that they get used to. So I was asked a few years ago to recommend people who qualified for the PSPCA, um, you know, being given free tickets as such. Uh, what advice I would give them, and the major piece of advice I gave to them was Max Lay Reg, not so much for the ICM benefit, but just for the sort of like stay out of the waters with three hundred big blinds um, when when you're when the sharks are in there. And I believe after getting that fantastic advice, almost none of them did. <laughs> Correct. One guy one guy managed to 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 to, to, to last half at your level two before he jumped in, but pretty much everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, it, it, that's fair enough too. It's part of the recreation experience of like having a nice long slow structure. I completely understand that. Yeah. So given that given that most recreations do want to come in early, I do feel that there's some onus on organizers not to take the piss on this and let people register too late. Now, mm. online for a while went, was, was absolutely ridiculous where, you know, I, I remember once registering into the money um, on a, in an online tournament. It, but even when and that was an outlier, but even in, in a lot of cases, you're just very, very close to the money. And it becomes such a huge advantage like you're that you that and you're you know poker's a zero-sum game that money doesn't come from from nowhere that money comes from the people who registered at the start so they're at a disadvantage and if they're the recreational players you're kind of doubling up the disadvantage on them so what i would say is there's some onus on organizers to stop that you know you obviously have to have some late reg because not everybody get, can get there on time or whatever but there is a balance to be struck there the second point is if you are a recreational player at least understand that you're putting yourself at a disadvantage um, by, by by going at the beginning. Now, if you're willing to do that because you want the experience of the whole tournament, that's fine. But again, you know, if you uh, if you if you buy this book here, <laughs> we will we do explain why you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, we were trying to do some sort of gorilla mats on this one and figure out well what is the ICM edge if you were to last minute this? If you go in right at the last minute of the main event, you're roughly arriving with half the field remaining. Now you have to get to the top 15% of the field, so you've still got a ways to go, but obviously, you know, you've, you've made it quite far. Um, and we sort of, I think, figured that it probably meant that you had roughly 
15% equity, you probably had, like yeah. increased the value of your 10K buy-in to maybe 11.50, something like that, or 11.5? Yeah, I, I have a piece coming out in Poker News. It might be out by the time that this goes to where, which gives a few specific examples. And it is sort of in the 15 to 25% region, typically. Um, I would say as well, it can't, it can't be calculated exactly. Um, we're, we're making estimates because ICM is a very complicated calculation. Once you go up above 20 people, it just can't be done even by computers. Um, but we can certainly estimate it based on sort of the trends of, of, of smaller fields. And yeah, 15 to 25, 30%, that's kind of the range, which basically means that if somebody comes in at the last minute, and let's say it's a 25% edge, they're getting two and a half thousand in, mm. in, 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 in free equity. And I was saying to you, Daryl, well, like, let's compare that admittedly small enough sample size, but maybe, you know, if you were to universalize this, what would be your average finishing stack? You start with 60K, main event day one, you start from the beginning, you gobble up some of that lovely value, lovely soft money that's out there. Are you going to finish with 75K, 80K, 100K on average? Obviously, you've bust day one a couple of times, almost always made it to day two, no, I'm, made I'm, day three sorry, sometimes. I've bust once. Once, sorry, apologies, I thought it was twice. But, um, yeah, so like when you factor in those things, obviously the time that you bust day one, it's a it, it has a huge effect to the overall because it's quite devastating. Yeah. But when you do manage to kind of like coast through day one with 100K a lot, well, that's obviously a lot better than starting with 60. Yeah, for sure. My, my, my rough estimate again, back at the envelope is that on average, when I played day one at the WSOP, I increased my stack by 50%. Now, that doesn't increase my equity by 50%, which is which is worth noting. And it also depends on the distribution. Like, if if that's a case that I'm increasing my stack by, let's say, 55% nine years, and then in the 10th year I'm busting, that drags, the, the bust is a lot more costly. Um, so that sort of drags the dollar value down. But yeah, it, 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 that's roughly what it feels like um, at day one. So, you know, if you do add, let's say, 40% to your equity, I mean, that's better than the 50, than the 20 to 25% we're estimating for the ICM. So you're still better off playing the day one. And, you know, we would have played the day one had we got here in time. Um, we literally traveled the day of the travel restrictions. And our only two options were either to play the last day one, day one F. Full of sharks. Literally full of sharks. Probably <laughs> most of the people we were on the plane with. Or... Uh, to come into day two, which is being played at the same time. Full of fish. <laughs> <laughs> Full of uh, fun players um, who had played the earlier flights before be before the travel restrictions were lifted. Another huge factor was if if we played the last day one one F and got through, we would have had about eleven hours sleep before we have to go and play our day two. And if we get through that, we have no break. Next day we're back for day three. And if we go deep in the tournament, you know that sort of. Having having done that straight off the plane with no uh, recovery from jet lag could be quite costly later on. The way we did it, we came in, we got into day two, we both got through. We were exhausted for the last level, so it is worth we noting were, that we the jet lag, yeah. we were sending messages back and forth to each other for the last level going, I'm fading here, what about you? I had a Red Bull for the first time in 10 years. Dara was like, don't do it, Dan, you'll, you'll crash, it'll be bad. I was like, the coffee is swilling here, I can't go. That's my one book bear. We're, we're drinking Starbucks like it's fucking the best coffee in the world because it's literally the best you can get in this poxy city. Uh, the, the coffee is terrible in Vegas. But, um, but yeah, I couldn't do the coffee, so I was like, I have to do something that's going to perk me up. And I did do a, a cheeky Red Bull, which... Uh, I find disgusting and I, it's probably sweating out of my pores still well, the next goes, day there goes our Red, Bull, our Red Bull deal sorry Red Bull yeah Brain, so, Brain Fuel already passed us over so yeah Brain Fuel apparently would have more evenly distributed my caffeine spike um, and uh, and given me arterial fibrillations like helmet suffered I would have gone full pyromaniac in that last level high on brain fuel but no but seriously I um, I was like I was really struggling the, the last two hours and um, and I know you were too and it was great to think oh well at the end of this we can go for a little meal we can try and keep ourselves up another hour so we can get a great night's sleep not worry about the next day have a sort of a day off and then go back in pretty much all sorted out now and rested and as you say if you if you do make it to day four or five or beyond in this event that'll stand to us I think yeah absolutely um, I mean Day off is, is 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 needs to be qualified. This is this is part of our day off, and we have other stuff that we're doing, um, you know, besides uh, recording this grimy, uh, this, this beautiful textured extra bit of the lock-in. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. <laughs> said about this the better, but um, yeah, no. I'm, I mean, I think we definitely made the, the right choice there. Um, softer field, 
and you know a bunch of bunch of our friends came over and sat down took the other option one uh, F and they all seemed to have bagged up tidy stacks or bust so um, from a purely results based point of view we're, we're feeling quite smug as well yeah well we both managed to get through which is great and obviously once you get into day three you are sort of like eyeing up the bubble it's a it's a good way off I think it probably goes just after dinner or you might get lucky it goes just before dinner but it always tends to be around there and uh, and you know that's six hours of play that's you know I don't know maybe at the, the rate they play poker here that's probably 150 hands they play quite quickly here in America in mm. fairness there is a, really a good quickly, pace yeah. at the table yeah. so might even be more than 150 might be 180 hands uh, away so it's not like you can you know just like lock up too soon you, you, you'll certainly be an hour out you'll be thinking okay maybe slow down a bit here maybe lower variance maybe limp or play passive lines or you know reduce bet sizes that type of thing that you can do to lower variance but it, it won't be the case of doing that right out of the, the gate Darry you're coming back to I want to say just under 20 bigs uh, I think it'll be 16 yeah um, I'm not actually sure what the level is 2400 or 2500 but I have um, 40k so mm. it's going to be in that region yeah yeah, and, and the beauty of this event is two-hour clock. It's extraordinary. If Dara gets his double up any time in the first half hour, gets himself back to 25 to 30 bigs, plus that's a stack you can just kind of navigate this tournament with. Two-hour levels, just really slow. Doesn't put a huge amount of pressure on you. Yeah, I mean, it's a real testament to this tournament that it, most, of, most of the times I've bust, it's literally been the first time I've been all in and called in the World Series main event. And often that's, that's day two, day three. Um, it's very rare for me to be all in on day one. Um, and called uh, yesterday I was all in a couple of times but never called so I'm actually going into day three still with that sort of like I haven't been all in and called yet um, um, and that, that that is a real testament structure it is it, it's by far the best structure in the world I mean there's nothing else like it and um, it's that that sort of I guess is one of the reasons as well why people are focusing on the later edge and I completely understand that because that does undermine it slightly that people are sort of you know you force people to play well you don't force them people do play for 10 hours on, on day one go off and back up and then a bunch of guys just breeze in and so few people get eliminated on day one too that like even the average you know the average I think coming back to day two was 90k yeah we came in with 60k so you know we, we, are, we weren't even short we had 75 big blinds yeah. Um, and we ran very well in that first level you were up to over 90k in the first level I was up over 100 in the first level so then you immediately think oh my god I've saved a whole day in my life and it's great um, but no fair point you know should it be allowed I don't know but the fact that it is allowed we availed of it um, I have to say this is a hand that has to be mentioned Dara O'Garney when you look through the bust out sort of updates on the, the poker news or the WSOP app at least a quarter of them maybe even a third of them are like so and so player ran kings into aces boohoo good luck him cooler what can you do that should have happened to you but your spidey senses tingled we have an example it's a very rare thing in poker guys we have an example of a pre-flop not satellite kings fold in a tournament where you weren't even that deep tell us what happened yeah basically i raised under the gun and it was it was still fairly early so i guess i had 60 to 70 big blinds something like that Raised under the gun, got three bet by my neighbour who was a very, very active German. And um, So we're not believing him. We're actually we're delighted with our Kings. We're, we're already thinking our Kings are really good here. Comes around to the big blind who was an American recreational player and he um he was he was playing very loose, he was playing most pots and he was, you know, turning up with stuff like nine eight off suit under the gun. But he he was doing almost no three betting and I certainly hadn't seen him four bet yet. And he looked at his cards and he immediately started shaking. Like he started shaking to the point that the last time we were in that room in the Rio, there was an earthquake. <laughs> I thought, is this another earthquake? He's, a, he's, he's visibly shaking, um, which, you know, that's a fairly well-known excitement tell. Um, so I was already going, oh God, I really don't feel good about this now at all. Uh, so he would have hit the four bet. So yeah, he, he, he took a while to uh, gather himself and assemble the chips to put out the four back <laughs> and I, I, st I still had the uh, the German behind me as well who you know gets dealt the same number of big hands as everybody else and the four bet is like pretty much committing me so um, I was like I mean do I stick it in here and just assume it's not always aces yeah or... like is it if it's queens and it's ace king then it's okay but if yeah. it's not if it's kings and aces then yeah. and you have kings and given it that it was that structure as well. I just yeah. thought, well, I'll just pretend I don't have kings here. I'll pretend I've got something else. Uh, yeah, just, oh, it was a 6-7 suited. Yeah, I was just, so I, I was chancing my arm. So I did just, <laughs> yeah, I did decide to fold and and the German called. Uh, he was deeper against the other guy, so he could call more hands, obviously. 
and um, the flop came queen queen x I think and they got it in um, the guy had aces like I thought he, he, he did and the other guy had amazing jacks. read um, but yeah I think it was literally maybe the only tournament in the world who, where I could possibly do that it's a combination of two things first of all just the structure is so good that you don't have to sort of like just go with your hand um, it's an extraordinary read though like guys I'm sure you're all thinking the same thing is that it's all very well to go to have pieced it together like he does but when you're looking at the kings you just kind of go oh well sometimes it's my time to die I just have to do it anyway you, you found that discipline as you said you know knowing that it's a great structure feeling like like this is definitely a dark tunnely spot where the guy has only got premium hands and you know you have the premium hands you know, as well, so the most likely one is the other one. And Yeah, uh, and, and obviously if he had Ace King and the other guy had Jackson, I would have won, we'd never have heard of this hand. So. No, we wouldn't be talking about this. Darrow would never have got into the box going, guess what I did? Yeah. <laughs> but it is, that that is a truly extraordinary hand, I have to say. So, uh, you know, you're sort of, what's the phrase, living on borrowed time or living by your wits or spidey senses sort of came to the rescue there. Incredible stuff. Um, but, you know, bagging up 40k, short stack specialist in, in in many ways I've no doubt that you could yeah well as I said like, I was all in a few times but never called so I did actually move from 20 back up to 40 near the end so even though it was you know disappointing day overall you're never happy when you played for a whole day and lost a third of your stack it, no. it still it still felt okay like I wasn't when I was down to 20 it was starting to feel like desperation time um, uh, but yeah I mean it's a, play, it's a playable stack and we and as you said like, we're not that far from the bubble and that has another advantage too Taylor draw is going to be very important for me. Obviously, pretty much everybody's going to cover me, but there's a huge difference between somebody having a hundred thousand uh, covering me and somebody having four hundred thousand. If I shove into a four hundred k stack, you know, he can uh, he can he can call off, and it's it's not even a flesh wound if if, if he loses. But the hundred k stack is thinking about getting through the bubble himself, so he doesn't necessarily want to um, be all in pre even for forty k. Absolutely. Well, we are very much looking forward to playing our day. Three, which is our day two. Um, let's talk about you, David. You um, you bagged up quite a large stack. I, I had a really... I just had one of those kind of days where nothing went wrong. It was just like the perfect poker day, i got to be honest. Um, I don't think I was put in too many tough spots. Um, I think I just like had really strong ranges of hands all the time. I seemed to just pit people and get value. And I wouldn't take too much credit. I was I obviously start with 60K, bagged up 270 uh, if people were following my Twitter updates, which I did at every break, it was just sort of every break. I had another 50K and it just kind of went that way. Uh, don't want to claim much credit for amazing play or some crazy bluff or anything, because I really didn't. I played very few big pots. It was a very low variance, small pot way, kind of the what you what you dream about um, and uh, just was able to keep myself out of trouble. The one significant pot I lost, uh, I, impossible to get away from, a uh, very loose guy uh, opens, I three bet um, him and then there's a cold four bet shove from a guy with 28 bigs. I'd already put eight bigs in and I had ace king suited so I was happy enough to call off his stack and he had aces so his aces held and that was the one sort of setback I had but the rest of the time it was kind of a case of flopping some sets which was nice and guys willing to pay when I did and uh, just yeah making the best hand probably bluffed a few little spots but nothing crazy um, so you know delighted obviously that uh, it all worked out 270k is fantastic it, it does put me in a spot where you know if the first couple of hours go well tomorrow I can then be the guy maybe at the table who's pushing people around on the bubble, which is nice when the when, <laughs> nice when you ha you're the one with the gun. Not so nice when the rabbit has the gun. So um, we'll uh, we'll hopefully get ourselves into that spot tomorrow. But also a lot can go wrong, and I'm very uh, aware of that. And I'm going in kind of steady. And Dar's a great man to have in your ear, going like, "Don't you be getting fucking carried away, Lappin." The story I always remember <laughs> is I was I was at an FPS French Poker series in Lille once, and I was staying with Smidge. And we both played the high roller, which might have been a 3k or something like that. And um, it was a two day event, a smidge bust. I actually bagged up the chip lead. So I was one of 17 coming back with, I think, 14 or 15 getting paid. Um, and off I went to the casino and I told smidge, smidge said, said he was just gonna have a shower and some cornflakes and then he'd be long for the rail. And before he was finished his shower and his cornflakes, I was back in the room explaining oh. to him that I'd bust in 16th. <laughs> All standard spots, but yeah, you can literally just go bang, 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 because you, you know, 
you mentioned you're covering people, and that's great. But that also does mean the kind of spot that you talked about, where you know you, you you've raised with this king, and somebody shoves aces, and you have to call off. That can happen. That, that, that happens three times. That happens. <laughs> that, that happens three or four times, and suddenly you're out the door. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed for you tomorrow. I think you you're in an amazing spot, and I think this is one tournament where it's really good to have a stack at this point. Mm. Um, people are definitely going to overfold just to try to get into the money. Yeah, so look, guys out there, please wish us luck. We're loving all the interaction on social media. Dara and my phone just take turns pinging, obviously by the book. By the book. It, it, we are into the end game of the World Series main event now, so today is the day to, yeah. to basically buy this book and read it. And I'll be walking around the Rio all day long at Barry Carter's behest, because as far as Barry's concerned, I'm not here to play poker. I'm just here to sell books. It's so true. Every second message Dara gets is, is Barry going, got another little job for you today, Dara. You yeah. have to go and do this little bit of media. Don't forget to mention the book. Yeah, yeah, and he's he was on to me. We literally just landed on it, and I tweeted, you know, we spent twenty six hours traveling or whatever. And his response was, "How many books have you sold so far?" <laughs> well, so, that pop, answer pop up, Barry. <laughs> that answer is quite a few. I've seen them. I, I have. To, I keep two in my bag at all times because Dara sometimes when he goes, "Okay, I've sold all mine. Do you still have your two? Get over to table two hundred and seventy six and give a book to so and so." So uh, and uh, and we sorry and we've also we've managed to shout out here. I think genuine shout out a Colorado fan. We're walking back from the, uh, the, the shout out to Megan from Colorado. Yeah, for, coming from the Rio yesterday. Uh, we're doing our walk across the road. It's a big uh, sort of motorway, or we call it a motorway. Now it's probably just a small road here. Yeah, I saw I, I saw this lady coming up behind us, and she was looking at us kind of like you know something dodgy about these two guys. <laughs> completely understandable. Like two 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 two, two Irish guys just walking through the car park at. Yeah. AM. That's not really what you want to see. Um, but that, yeah, I'll let you tell the rest of the story. Well, she sort of overtook us on the left-hand side and then sort of glanced back at us and goes, are you the podcast guys? <laughs> we were like, I, th- I think we are. Yeah, probably <laughs> that we are. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I listen to your show. And we're like, where are you from? And what are you Anyway, she told us she's from Colorado. So shout out the Chip Race fans in Colorado, or at least fan, yeah. one fan in Colorado. Uh, but we appreciate that and actually when people do come up to us which does happen quite a bit here because I guess it is that big celebration of poker and we have a lot of American audience I think about a third to 40% of our audience is American even though we're not American and you know the show has a lot of European and UK and whatnot guests on it uh, it is clearly uh, uh, sort of we love our American fans we love our, Ameri- we love our American fans and I'm sorry about the co- that, that comment about your coffee being terrible <laughs> you know it's true but I shouldn't have said it because I should just be trying to be uh, in the mood and celebrate look guys thank you so much we really appreciate all the support wish us luck in the main event hopefully we will be doing another one of these in like four days time when we're both on in day seven or eight that would be that would be nice um, yeah, but, but much more likely we'll be We'll, we'll, we'll be broken men by then. We'll be broken men who are in the 888 third flight re-entry, second bullet. But, you know, <laughs> Six pigs. <laughs> exactly. But look, guys, really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed the show. A little bit from uh, Dublin, a little bit from Malta, and now a little bit from, I swear it is, the Rio. Look, it's out there. That's Vegas out there, guys. That's it out there. Take care. Ciao.